Welcome back into the Royals Farm Report. My name is Joel Tedfield, joined as always by Alex Dupal. How are you doing tonight? Joel, I am fantastic. My wife and I are kind of counting down the days now, waiting the birth of our first our first kid. We're having a son, so uh, getting really close to being parents. And, um, you know, as, as excited we are, getting a little nervous, getting a little anxious, but excited to meet the little guys. So, um, as all the, I'm trying to watch as much baseball as I can while we're just kind of laying around waiting for this little guy to come out so I can uh, uh, take a few weeks off here as we get going. But uh, getting excited, getting a little nervous, but it's uh, kind of a waiting game at this point. Yeah, but I remember that feeling. Congratulations. Uh, so I got a, I got a 10-month-old myself. So, yeah, it's uh, it's definitely an exciting time, nerve-wracking time, especially when it's when you're down to kind of like DEFCON 5 and you don't know when or what's going to happen. Uh, I remember that feeling. So, but no, it's going to be good. I- I'm super happy for you guys. And, uh, and obviously while you're gone, we'll still keep the site up and running. Also record some stuff. So there'll still be content out there. Alex just will not be a part of it for a little bit, but we'll still be providing that for you. But another good week with a lot to talk about a lot of really good performances, especially out of the quad cities guys uh, this week, this was a, a ton of fun. And for a guy like Sully Matias, who, you know, has obviously kind of had his ups and downs with either injuries, performance, whatever. Uh, this little heater that he's on right now has been really impressive to watch. Yeah, dude, he's so much fun. I mean, he hit two balls this week. One of them straightaway center field over the batter's eye into the river at Quad Cities. And then today he just goes oppo taco into the river out in deep right field. And it's like, man, how do you like how do you do that as a human being? And I and I said something to the effect that. I'd never seen anybody go over dead center to the river and the photographer for the, for the river band, it's Josh Franzen who's out there, you know, he's out there all the time said he's never seen it either. So, I mean, kids just a special talent and he plays the game with so much joy and so much passion and energy that it's hard not to root. It's impossible not to root for him. Um, Since his return to high a on July 13th, Suli's hitting 262 with eight home runs and 10 extra base hits in 15 games. The caveat to this, obviously, 26 strikeouts and four walks. For the season, uh, weighted runs created plus around 110. It's around 160 since his return from the IL. I mean, he his power will play. I um, You know, he's got some swing and miss, but he hits the ball with so much impact so frequently that you know sometimes I wonder if the swing and miss won't prohibit him from having a big league career sometimes I think man he just hits the ball so hard it may not matter like can he be Chris Carter can he be you know an off-brand Solaire which would have value off the bench can you be you know like a Luke Voigt and have a couple years where it all comes together for a little bit and you hit 40 home runs because you're just on a tear I don't know I go back and forth with him, but right now, regardless of what his future looks like, he's been a lot of fun to watch. Um, he's a pleasure to get to to get to experience watch ba- you know playing baseball. So uh, really rooting for him. Really glad he's back and healthy is the is the big thing for him, and just just a ton of fun to watch, man. Yeah, I don't think that's the biggest caveat, right? Is how long can he stay healthy? When we've seen it, even in his the year where he really broke out in Lexington, like he missed the last month of the year with an injury, and then. He obviously had his, he had his struggles in Wilmington, and those were very you know you can look and see how bad that got. But then he's he's injured about in you know the middle of June, he's out for the rest of the year, and then he plays a few games in Quad Cities, and then he's hurt again, and is finally coming back to form. But who knows how long that's going to be until maybe he's back on the shelf. I, I hope that's not the story of his career, but at the same time, the best kind of ability is availability, and I hope that we can continue to see that moving forward. But Frankly, I'm just not going to bank on it because there's there's a trend here of of you know nagging injuries and little things. So I hope that those have subsided and we he goes on a heater the rest of the year and you know we have some expectation maybe for what he can be, you know maybe in Double A next year. But uh, it's definitely going to be interesting to follow and, I, and I'm glad to see him doing well. I wish no ill will on the kid at all because the the power is prodigious. It, it's insane what he can do when he makes contact and elevates the ball, but. You know, we'll see. He is definitely going to be an interesting case over the next season or two of how healthy can he stay and how often is he able to make contact to make up for the amount of strikeouts. Yep, I agree. Um, His teammate, Michael Massey, since July 9th, um, 
you know, Massey's week was pretty good, but since July 9th, he's batting 333. He is slugging 744. So that's a ISO of over, it's like 411. I mean, that is just ridiculous. Um, OPS 1.113, 17 extra base hits in 18 games. He's got 17 extra base hits and just 12 strikeouts in his last 18 games. Still not walking a ton, but when you're hitting the ball like that, it's probably a good thing you're not walking. Um, weighted, rate, weighted runs created plus up around 200. He just had an average week for him, but I just wanted to mention him because over the last couple of weeks, Michael Massey has been on an absolute tear. Wouldn't be surprised to see him in double A sometime soon. Um, but a guy who did have a big week, Nick Lofton. Nick Lofton today, we're recording this on Sunday. Nick Lofton just hit a walk-off home run to complete the cycle for Quad Cities. Um, he goes five for six with a single, a pair of doubles, a triple, and a walk-off home run. He is now in the middle of a 15-game hit streak. So since July 14th, he's got a 15-game hit streak. He's hitting 338 in that time with 11 extra base hits and only eight strikeouts to four walks. A weighted runs created plus over 120. His weighted runs created plus for the season is now right around 105. So Nick Lofton, um, first-round pick last year, I know he got off to a slower start and really didn't really heat up until like June. So he got off to a you know, an extended slow start of sorts. But I really felt like the contact suggested he should be doing better. I felt like he was not getting unlucky, just not optimizing the way he was approaching his at-bats, um, not lifting the ball very often. He was never striking out at all, really. He hasn't struck out much all year. Hasn't walked a lot either, but he's playing really good defense. He's played shortstop, second base, and third base for Quad Cities all here recently. Um, would I don't know that I expect him to get it back to double A this year, but I think it would be beneficial to all parties if he got to see some double A pitching this year, even again, if, even if it was just for the last month or so. Um, let him get that experience so that way when he starts next year, he'll next year he'll be 23 years old starting at double A. You know, you're knocking down the door of the big leagues as a 24 year old in 2023. So, um, he's a guy that when we talk about Bobby Witt Jr., Nick Prado, MJ Melendez, Kyle Isbell. Nick Lofton needs to be included in that conversation because when you talk about the next wave of hitters and the next guy, wave of guys creating value for the big league club, his name is going to be in those conversations for the front office. His name is going to be in those conversations amongst the players and pretty soon amongst, I think, the general population because Nick Lofton's a really good player and he had a really, really good week down there in high A. Yeah, it's nice to see it all come together for him. I mean, the, the kid's really talented and they said that the results maybe didn't necessarily meet, you know, meet up with the process. If you know what I'm saying, like you said, we was hitting the ball. Well, like some of the bad ball data came back and like, maybe he's getting a little unlucky. Like what's going on here. Seems like everything's starting to even out a little bit. And he's, some of those balls are starting to reach the gap or get over the fence. Like they did tonight in the ninth inning for him. It's nice to see him hit for a little more power. I think that's hopefully coming for him here soon. And I know I, I love guys like Nick Lofton. Like, like we talked, you you said in the past, and I kind of agree with you, like the Whit Merrifield comp initially, I didn't know how I feel about it. He's kind of a Whit Merrifield type guy. I don't know if he's a two-time all-star like Whit Merrifield, but I don't know if he's, I don't know if that's the a ceiling that, you know, he can reach, but a guy that you can put anywhere on the diamond, you can put him at the top of the order, you know, he's going to get a, at least a couple of knocks and a bag or something like that and play and play solid defense. And I love guys like that because those are the types that like really have to grind to get to the big leagues, even though, even though the talent is obviously really good for Nick Lofton, it's a very throwback style of baseball that you just do, that, you know, it just isn't seen a lot nowadays, you know, with just the way the game is trending. So for a guy like Nick Lofton to, to have the success he's having right now, and a guy that I think has a big league profile as a, you know, a super utility type or, you know, utility infielder type off the bench uh, for the big league clubs moving forward. It's really nice to see. Yeah, he plays like offensively. He's nothing like um, like Ben Zobrist, but I think he'll be so good in so many places on defense with also really good offensive output that I think in terms of value and in terms of like a spot on the roster, I really think he'll be comparable to Ben Zobrist. Um, again, not the same amount of value, 
But in terms of where his value comes from and how he accrues value for a baseball team, I think he'll go about it very similarly as, as Zobrist. Again, I don't expect Zobr or I don't expect Lofton to, you know, post six and seven war seasons because he's not that good. I'm just saying in terms of how he gets to that value, very Zobrist-ish. Um, last guy in Quad Cities, again, they had a hell of a week. Anthony Veneciano, career high, 10 strikeouts, um, only two walks and six scoreless innings. Veneciano's a guy that I think by, you know, for a fact has big league stuff. Now, I think that stuff's going to play in the bullpen because I don't think his command is all that great. The control is fine. Like, I think he controls the ball well enough. And, and by the way, when we talk about control over command, I mean, I don't think he'll walk a ton of guys in the big leagues. Like Jake Brents today had no clue where some of his stuff was going. And it was very, it was very clear like, even the home plate umpire, I think, got skittish. Like, that is no control. Control is something Veneciano does. I don't think he's going to walk a ton of dudes at the big league level. I just don't think he's going to be able to pinpoint his fastball in the corners and wherever he wants it all the time. So, that, to me, is going to push him into a big league bullpen. But I think he's going to be really good there. His slider shows wipeout stuff at times. I don't think he controls it well enough to consider it like a, like a 50-grade pitch even at this time. But the shape of the pitch, I think, is worth a 40. And his changeup's really good. It's going to help him neutralize righties. And his fastball bumps 98. So, again, you talk about like a uh, Jake Brent's type out of the bullpen. I think you've got something with Anthony Veneciano. Really good start for him this week. Yeah, for sure. To, to see him, like, I agree with you. I, I think he's probably a reliever long-term, but that's a really good reliever. I mean, that, it's, and that's nothing to sneeze at. And when we talk about, you know, guys that start at the big league level, or, you know, that are starting in the minors and like moving to the bullpen. It's not a bad thing. At the end of the day, the dudes are going to be getting big league money and they're going to be p- pitching in the big leagues. It's just a matter of where is the best role for them to help the big league club succeed. And for a guy like Veneciano, it's a perfect spot. And when you have a lefty that pumps into the mid to upper 90s with, a you know, a decent breaking ball, you give two pitches like that, especially when you can run it up to 97, 98 like he can at times. That's going to play, you know, as our, our friend Alec Lewis would say, that'll play and it will. When you, when you can throw to the upper 90s as a lefty like that, doesn't you know just control it enough to be to be around the strike zone, you're going to get swing and miss, and you're going to get outs. And he's a guy that's at, that absolutely can do that at the big league level. Yep. Uh, moving down to low A really quick, our guy Kale Emshoff just hit his seventh home run of the season. Uh, it's funny. Right before we started recording, we decided um, we'd skip low A for a minute and come back just in case Emshoff did anything in his final at bat, and he did. He hit a ball clear out of the stadium down there in Charleston. Just talk about prodigious power. He ain't got Sully Matias type of pop. But when he gets a hold of one on his pull side, holy smokes, that dude can absolutely punish baseball. So since July 22nd, Emshoff's played in eight games. He has five extra base hits and only seven Ks in those eight games. He, he does only have one walk. And while – so he's batting 400 in that – or over 400. He's batting like 412 now. Weighted runs created plus over 170. Like, Kale Imshoff has the impact ability to be a really good big league catcher. We just got to work on the approach. And, and it's one thing that, like, when we talk about teaching guys to walk, I feel like a lot of fans, like, misinterpret what we mean by teaching guys how to take a walk. Learning how to take a walk is not trying to get to first base. Learning to take a walk is understanding I'm a 23-year-old bopper in low A. These guys are horrified of me because they know I can put a ball out of the stadium at any time. They're they're not going to try to throw me pitches down the middle of the plate. They're going to try to work the edges, work the corners, and try to avoid me. Therefore, I can be a little more selective because these pitches aren't going to be strikes all the time. Like Guys are going to throw me pitches out of the zone because they're afraid of what I'm going to be able to do. And I think we see that with Bobby Witt Jr. sometimes. It's like, man, you are so destructive at the plate let guys walk you sometimes because they're gonna try like we don't have to hit everything that they throw at the plate so it's something to watch with Emshoff. the power will play he's very good defensively behind the plate i just wonder about the swing and miss sometimes but at the moment he's having a really good week and a half here for columbia like i said he's sitting over 410 five extra base hits and eight games just seven strikeouts weighted runs created plus over 170 um, really, really good week for M. Schaff down there in Columbia. 
Yeah, the, the strikeout number was really encouraging to me. You know, he, he's got striking out. He's nearly 30% of the time, if not more, uh, on the season. Obviously, the power has come a little bit for him. And when he hits the ball, he hits it with some authority. But even then, for, to be a 23-year-old in high A, or low, not even high A, low A, that's, that's just too many strikeouts. Uh, you know, and swing and miss, you know, at, at a certain point, especially when he's he's really good defensively, he's, he's really solid behind the plate. You kind of you take some of those swing and miss like you do with like a Mike Zanino or, you know, pick – pick your catcher that's, you know, hits a buck 80, but, you know, can go bridge on you at any time and is solid behind the plate. Like it, it just kind of comes with the territory. Like I'm cool with whatever you give me offensively, if you're that good behind the plate. So, you know, I I'm curious to see him move up and see what he does and see how he does. Cause I think he does have a big league profiles, like a third catcher or even a backup, you know, in certain spots. So he'll be an interesting guy to follow moving forward. I'm, I'm still pretty high on him compared to, uh, I think some other people, but, but, uh, I mean, to see the strikeout numbers come down a little bit this week is really impressive. And I just saw the video of the home run. Yeah. He, he pissed on that ball. Like it was when he gets one and even his power, the opposite way is impressive too. Like it doesn't even seem like he, it doesn't take much for him to get to his power there. He's kind of flips his hands and the ball just flies. So if he can work on that swing and miss and, and be a little more selective then we're talking, we're, we're going to be cooking with fire here with him. Yeah, his uh, catching counterpart at AA, MJ Melendez, has had himself a nice couple weeks ever since the um, uh, the Bash brothers, Witt and Prado, got promoted. Um, MJ Melendez, since July 20th, he's hitting 333 with six home runs and 10 extra base hits in 12 games. Only 11 strikeouts in those 12 games. What's maybe more impressive, nine walks. Um, Melendez was walking a fair bit. Like It wasn't like he wasn't walking like Emshoff. But he wasn't walking a ton either. Um, nine walks in 12 games is a pretty good number for him. Weighted runs created plus well over 200. I think what's nice for him is that he lost – well, I say that. He was protecting Prado. I forgot about that. So, MJ Melendez goes from hitting fourth where he's backing up Witt and Prado in the lineup to now he has Vinny Pasquantino hitting behind him. Um, and I think he's getting you know more pitches to hit for for impact but also like you don't you don't lose any punch if you're the naturals you know in terms of getting Pasquantino in there so good for Melendez I do think we're seeing a situation where potentially he could get promoted uh by the time you guys are listening to this I don't know that for sure I, I really don't I'm just speculating based on like travel so northwest Arkansas is at home right now Omaha's on the road but they're coming back so it would make sense for him to be able to go from Northwest Arkansas, drive straight up to Omaha and join the team. I don't think that actually happens, but it could. I think it's like, you know, there's an opportunity there is what I'm saying. So we'll see. Um, I'm not entirely sure if that's going to be a thing or not anytime soon, because like I said, they've just, they've got to create an opportunity for them. I don't know where the opportunity comes from. Travel schedules line up. They won't line up again for a while. We'll see. Um, Speaking of Omaha, Kyle Isbell, on a freaking tear for the last month since June 29th. Kyle Isbell is hitting 289 with a 404 on base, a 500 slug, a 904 OPS, a 211 ISO, a 139 weighted runs created plus, and 18 walks to just 19 strikeouts in over a month. I forgot to see how many games that is. Um, maybe I still have it pulled up. No, I don't. Hang on just a second. Because he's got, like I said, over a month now, and Kyle Isbell's only struck out 19 times. So since June 29th, Kyle Isbell has played. He didn't play today. He got pulled from the lineup yesterday, so I'm hoping he's okay. Uh, I guess we'll we'll let you know if we hear anything about Kyle Isbell potentially being injured or not injured. Um, since June 29th, beginning of that series, Kyle Isbell has played in 26 games, struck out just 19 times. So really good to see him starting to have some success. Got off to a slow start in Omaha, slow start no more. He is absolutely bopping balls uh, there for the AAA lineup. Um, good to see because I know fans were like clamoring for Edward Olivares, and rightfully so. Olivares had a great year in Omaha. Comes up today, hits a home run into the second deck in Toronto. Don't understand why that kid wouldn't get a chance. Um, glad to see him getting it. But Kyle Isbell's coming with him soon. And I think when Kyle Isbell makes his return to the big league lineup, fans are going to remember why 
he's a top 10 prospect in this. Um, he's a unanimous top 10 prospect in this system. Yeah, and to go back to Melendez really quick, this week he took the lead for all of minor league baseball and home runs with now 25. And I don't want people to lose sight of that because, again, when you, when you look at how bad 2019 was to where we are now, we talked about Prado, we talked about Melendez ad nauseum, but it's still incredible. It's still amazing what he is doing and to still do it with this amount of consistency, not having Bobby Witt Jr. or Nick Prado in that lineup with him to protect him at all. He's still mashing the ball. And obviously Vinny has come up and done a great job, mashed a 430 foot bomb the other night. Uh, You know, just, I I had to get my Vinny thing in here because he's our guy, but MJ has been nothing short of amazing. And I hope he gets promoted here soon because he has clearly earned it at this point. If he hadn't earned it a couple weeks ago, he sure as hell has now. For sure. I didn't mean to cut you off there before you got a chance to mention that. Um, as I rolled right into Kyle Isbell. Um, last guy we're going to talk about, um, Dylan Coleman. Dylan Coleman has made one of the craziest fastball velocity jumps I've ever seen. He goes from sitting 92, 93, touching 95, to sitting 98 and touching 101. His slider development has been outstanding to watch this year. His last few outings, six innings pitched, 13 strikeouts, five walks, two runs. Absolutely phenomenal. He has now struck out six of the last seven batters he's faced. He's going to be in a big league bullpen in September, and I cannot wait. I cannot wait to see how his fastball plays against these big league hitters because he is blowing away minor league hitters. Um, Really excited for him. Really happy because Dylan Coleman, we're trying to get him on the podcast. His schedule is not lined up, and that's mostly um, mostly our fault for not being able to work around him just yet. But we're trying to get Dylan Coleman on the show. Um, so hopefully we, we can schedule it so we can you know accommodate Dylan's schedule here soon. Anyway, the, the work he's put in, he had a minor injury in San Diego that he tried to pitch through. It wrecked some of his mechanics and some of the way he went about his business. And then he never could get back to those mechanics. And he has had to put in a ton of work to get back to what makes him a good pitcher. And now we're seeing him reap the benefits of all that work. Really really happy for Dylan Coleman. We are going to see – I would would almost bet you $100 we'll see him in the big leagues in September. I am really, really sure of that. And there's no reason to not have him in the big league bullpen at a certain point. Like with that kind of stuff, with a wipeout breaking ball, you're thrown in the upper nineties. You're just striking out the world. He's, he's been too good for triple a at this point. He's been, he was too good for double a really quickly. And then very quickly in the same fashion, too good for triple a call the dude up, give him some innings. Like cool. Urban Santana. Great. Um, bye. Let, let's get Dylan Coleman in there. So something man, like, I, I need some sort of hope for the rest of the season and give me some sort of hope for the rest of the bullpen, you know, moving forward here and just something for next season. Cause I think Dylan Coleman's going to be a huge piece in the back end for many years to come. And this could be a false equivalency, but I'm going to at least try and spark something here that the, Dylan Coleman was the player to be named later in the Trevor Rosenthal trade. That was a great pickup by the Royals player development and by Dayton Moore to, to find a guy that you could bring in, in that fashion that should give Royals fans some hope that when the Danny Duffy return comes back, that they're going to get a guy that they believe in and that they know is going to be able to produce for a player to be named later. They might, you know, the, and the Dodger system's loaded down with dudes that has been forever. So they're going to, even if they get a guy that's, you know, toward the bottom of the top 30, there's a pretty good chance he's still a stud. So that you need to give like the Royals some credit They're Dayton Moore and the PD and JJ Piccolo for finding a guy and identifying somebody in Dylan Coleman that they're probably going to be able to do the same thing on the Danny Duffy trade. Yeah, I was looking because one thing I think is interesting about a player to be named later in this kind of situation is that I think it's possible that it's a player they drafted this year, the Dodgers did. So if you don't know, you cannot trade a player that you drafted in the same year. So like the Royals can't now turn around and trade Frank Mazzucato. Right. So um, I was looking at the Dodgers draft class and I was thinking, man, 
if there's if there who could the the Dodgers have drafted that the Royals might be interested in enough to make this a player to be named later trade instead of trading for someone who is like already in the system that they could just announce and bring in in a guy that I am really intrigued by and that I am hoping and I'll tweet this out at some point after this podcast runs. I am really hoping that it's Ben Harris out of Georgia. Ben Harris was a draft eligible sophomore this year. Um, but I think that's technically he was a junior. So he had a red shirt year. Um, plus the COVID year, God knows what he is to the NCAA. But anyway, it's his third year. He's 21 year old out of Georgia, the University of Georgia. He is purely a reliever, but this year in at, for Georgia pitching in the SEC, he made um, uh, how many appearances? He made 20 appearances. He threw 38 innings and struck out 66 batters, ERA of 2.3. Strikeouts per nine of 15.36. Um, kids got some really sick stuff. If it was Ben Harris, I think that would be a great get, even if he's like a Christian Chamberlain type where he's probably a reliever only. Um, that'd be fantastic for, you know, a couple – for like a month of Duffy because Duffy's still on the IL. I also want to go back to – we had Grant Gambrell in our top 50 preseason, in our top 45 even – Grant Gambrell, really good fastball curveball combo. Grant Gambrell was the, one of the players to be named later in the Andrew Benintendi trade. Just because it's a player to be named later doesn't inherently imply that they're bad. Like, let's say the Dodgers offered up before they traded Josiah Gray and Kiebert Ruiz. Let's say they offered you both of them. They said you could have either Josiah Gray or Kiebert Ruiz, one of our top two prospects for Duffy. And the Royals said, Can we think about it? And they're like, Sure. Yeah, take a couple months. Think about it. We don't care. And one of those guys wound up being the player to be named later. Like just because the Royals get a couple months to scout the player to be named later does not imply that the player to be named later is bad. Like I don't understand why fans see the PT BNL and go, oh, we didn't even get anything for him. It's like, well, yeah, it's like, you know, it's like if I give you $5 now and $5 tomorrow, you're still getting five bucks. It's just you're going to wait on it a little bit. So I don't know, man. It's just – People need to relax a little bit. Like you said, the, the scouting staff has done a great job. They'll probably go get somebody who's going to be a great addition to the system. But you're trading it for a month of Duffy. Like, you shouldn't have expected a ton in return in the first place. Yeah, exactly. If Duffy wasn't on the aisle and was still pitching, you know, I don't think it's a player to be named later situation. But And also, I think the fact that the Royals also sent money to the Dodgers to help offset some of Duffy's contract is going to sweeten the pot a little bit on that the the pool of players that the Royals had to choose from if they didn't do that then it would be a little like okay I, I and I think anything you got for Danny Duffy at this point is perfectly fine with me I'm not not incredibly concerned about it I'm happy for Danny it sucks to watch him not pitch for the Royals but for a dude from Southern California to go and be you know and have an opportunity to pitch in October for a team that's contending to for a World Series like go shove and then if the opportunity presents itself for him to come back to Kansas City, which I think is a real possibility, I'm all for it. But I'm, I'm, I hope that Danny Duffy gets healthy and has the opportunity to pitch in October and just shove out of that Dodgers bullpen. Well, and even like as a Royals fan, like I know we get, you know, we're a little suspect of ownership, and, and as you should be. But let's say that the, the Royals didn't send any money because they still owe them over $5 million this year. They get back a low A arm and $5 million. Like, as long as we think that's going into the payroll next year, like, okay, like, I don't, I don't care. Yeah. Go eat the money. Um, anyway, one guy that we did get, we, one name that we know the Royals acquired is they got Casey Kalich, a right handed reliever from the Atlanta Braves organization for Jorge Soler. Uh, he made his debut today for Quad Cities. He struck out one batter, walked a couple, gave up a run in one inning. Um, I just, you know, he's he is the kind of lottery ticket that you look for when you're trading a bad baseball player. So, you know, big fastball, his breaking ball has really, really good flashes of potential. It's just not very consistent. 23-year-old um, reliever in high A. So 
you know, as, as many arms as you can add to the system. If he turns into the next Dylan Coleman, we're going to look back at this and go, holy crap, the Royals stole another one from somebody. Um, but assuming he doesn't and just goes on to be a quality asset in a bullpen, okay, you know, the Royals think he's got a legitimate shot to reach the big leagues. It's good enough for me. Any kind of big league value you could get for the last two months of Jorge Soler this year was a win. So it sucks that Soler couldn't have had a really good year and, you know, gone out there and got him a top 10 arm in somebody's system. But you'll take a guy like Kalich with a big fastball and a, and a you know, a, a breaking ball that flashes plus at times. And, you know, we'll go from there. Yeah. And you said it. The fact the Royals were able to get anything of, any sort of value for how awful Jorge Soler was really until the last week or so is a miracle in and of itself. And so anybody they were able to get perfectly fine with it. It's an, you know, addition to the system. It's a guy that the Royals obviously feel decent about. And so you, you go from there. And of course, Jorge Soler goes out and makes his debut with the, uh, the Braves on Saturday night goes three for four and makes a leaping play in right field. So, because of course he does. Right. <laughs> Yeah. Um, happy for Jorge, by the way, who by all accounts is a great dude. Um, so I'm, I'm happy for him um, and Duffy to get to go have an opportunity to chase down a playoff run. So I know the Dodgers are obviously going to make the playoffs. And one thing with Duffy that I think is, is underrated is that he only got to pitch 10 innings total across two playoff stints for the Royals. I think part of this is Dayton Moore hopefully convincing Duffy, like, dude, you know, it sucks that you were hurt and had all these other, you know, things going on. Go, go play some playoff baseball. Go pitch in the playoffs for the Dodgers. Like, you didn't get to have that experience for us. Go, go chase it, you know, go home, enjoy some winning. And then for Solaire, like, go be a part of something that's bigger than what we're going to do. The Braves may or may not make the playoffs at this point, but go try. Go be on a competitive team. Both of them great human beings. I mean, just really happy that they're going to have that opportunity. So, um, yeah, that's, you know, not a whole lot of action for the Royals at the trade deadline. Um, We got another uh, segment coming up on the other side of this break. We're going to take a quick ad break right here, and we will be right back. Alex and I are now joined by MJ Melendez, your current minor league leader in home runs across all levels. Uh, we recently had him number two in our prospect rankings, and he's a new member, I believe, the Baseball America Top 100. So hit a, hit a top 100 list here. MJ, uh, how's it going, man? Thanks for joining us. Hey, guys. Thank you for having me. I'm uh, doing great. I'm having a blast playing the game I love and uh, glad to be on this, uh, on this uh, podcast with you guys. We appreciate you joining us, man. MJ, when when the Royals drafted you in 2017, um, I spoke with your father. Uh, he he came on and did a little interview with us, and you know it was it was pretty easy to see for me anyway. It was pretty easy to see why the Royals fell in love with you and your family. I mean, I, I think it speaks to you know the the culture they try to build of drafting and developing good people as well as good baseball players. Your dad was your coach growing up. I know he coaches for FIU as well, but he he coached you growing up some. Is that is that correct? Yes, sir. Hundred percent correct. So, I mean, talk about like some of like the the baseball like growing up in the in the the way that you learned to play the game. I mean, having a dad who coaches college baseball is pretty handy. Oh, hundred percent. Being able to grow up around the game and. Uh, of course, be around my dad and him teach me all the ins and outs of baseball. Um, of course, the physical side of it, but uh, the mental side of it was just a huge advantage for me growing up. I feel like it really helped me uh, learn the game, being a catcher, being a leader, uh, learn how to call pitches. Uh, there was a lot that kind of went into it, and uh, and being uh, being around his players as well. It was. Uh, I was able to go to the practices at a young age and uh, practice and just be around the guys and kind of uh, learn uh, really what made them good ball players and, and how to eventually be uh, at the same level, if not better, and uh, just kind of start that uh, maturing process uh, a little bit earlier. Speaking of, of coaches and people you can look up to that you've been around last off season, or maybe it was two off seasons ago, I can't remember now, 
you did a little workout with Salvador Perez um, down there in Florida. One thing I noticed with you, MJ, is you, I, I've you know we've we've talked about it before, but I've always been impressed with you defensively. The way that you're able to move behind the play, your arm obviously has been a real weapon for you. But this year, I noticed, and I went and looked. So, I, I it looked to me like the the way that you receive pitches, maybe not like drastically as altered, but just looked really refined. Like it looks to me like it's something you've clearly been working on. And I went over to baseball prospectus and they've got you as a well above average framer now in there. And, and I'm not a huge fan of framing analytics, but it just kind of seemed to back the point that it's something you've been working at. How do you take the idea of framing a pitch? Cause like the, the whole idea of framing is taking a pitch that is not a strike and tricking the umpire into thinking that it is a strike. So what kind of work have you done? I, like, again, I know you're working out with Salvi and, and putting in all kinds of other work, but how does that, how does as a craft, like how much work does that take? Of course. No, it definitely is something that uh, takes a lot of work. It's something that uh, I definitely now I'm priding myself in. And uh, of course, growing up, I, I always uh, wanted to be a great receiver. And I think it was just kind of working more and more. Obviously I'm catching better arms each and every year. And uh, guys with some some filthy movement, when it comes to those sliders or sinkers or guys just with, like, good vert. And uh, I know that it's important for me because I want the pitchers to have uh, full confidence in me behind the plate and know that I'll be able to um, get those borderline pitches. Obviously, the less that they have to throw it over the middle of the plate, the better. So if I know I can gain an inch or two uh, off the corner or the bottom of the plate, wherever it is, um, I want to be the best at that and uh, make sure that I'm helping them out. How awesome is it to be a part of an organization where every day you are playing for the same affiliate that the best catcher in baseball also plays for? Oh, it's, it's a huge honor. It's something I don't take lightly. And uh, I'm a competitor, and I know Salvador is a competitor as well. So it's, it's pretty great. I know that uh, at the end of the day, hopefully we get to uh, play together and just – uh, have some healthy competition. I feel like that's the uh, the best way to, to just be winners, you know, to create that uh, winning culture. And uh, obviously I know in 2014, 2015, uh, that was a big presence. There was a lot of guys that were kind of just uh, competing against each other in the best way possible. And uh, that's something that uh, I feel like the organization does a very good job of and uh, something that I really enjoy. So I, I remember thinking back, this was specifically to 2019 because we had uh, Corey Nido, the, the director of communications for the Blue Rocks at the time when you guys were up there. And it felt like every other game he was talking about a, a throw you'd make a back pick to Nick Prado to, to throw a guy out or throwing a guy out at second. But it felt like a lot of times you were getting a, a lot of base runners out back picking to Nick. And I'm sure that there's a, been a relationship built over the years. You guys played Lexington together and then Wilmington and Northwest Arkansas. You talk about the, the communication and the relationship it takes to know when you're going to make that throw and, and just knowing that he's going to be there to make that play. Cause I, I mean, that is a, a lost art is not the right word, but it's not something you see or think about, you know, very often, you know, as a, you know, a casual fan or someone just watching the game from afar. Almost definitely. I feel like uh, me and Nick have some sort of like telepathic communication going on. Uh, but I mean, it's just something that since I feel like honestly, from day one, from uh, our first days in Arizona back in 2017, that we've just kind of been able to build that and uh, honestly just improve on it each and every year. I think going into this season, uh, a lot of the teams knew it, and uh, I just noticed and I talked to Nick about it and uh, with our coaches have, of course, I was just like, man, these, these guys are not really getting uh, very big leads and you could really tell. And I'm like, all right, well, I guess it's just kind of something that we'll have to hold on to. And, and then situations that we need or, or we see that uh, that back pick is available and then we can uh, utilize it. But it's uh, something that is a very big part of my game. And uh, it's great to have built that relationship and connection that uh, we're always on the same page. And I'm sure a lot of that connection was built as well, being part of uh, two championship teams early on in your professional career, winning the South Atlantic League in 18 uh, with Lexington and then winning the Carolina League in 19. Uh, is that something that you and other guys that were part of those clubs as you continue to move up in the organization still think about? Or is it one of those that, like it was great in the moment, but, the, you know, there's obviously more aspirations moving forward? We're always thinking about it. That's that's the, the number one goal is to win championships. And, of course, we got to be where our feet are and, 
in that point in time, we were in low A and then high A, and that's something that uh, was important for us. It was our goal. Our goals, um, obviously, we want to have personal goals, uh, but I feel like the main uh, the main objective of that season was to go out and win a championship, and we were able to uh, obtain those two goals those years. And it's something that we want to do each and every year. So it's not just something that, oh, you know, it was good in the moment and uh, kind of move on from it. It's something that we just we used to build off of. And, uh, of course, the ultimate goal is to win a World Series uh, in the big leagues. And uh, I have full confidence that we will be able to do that. And we have a great group of guys coming up. But just to be able to do that in the minor leagues, uh, not once but two years in a row, is uh, something very special. Speaking of chasing a playoff run, you guys are kind of in the middle of a playoff playoff hunt yourselves right now at Double A. Uh, you got some reinfor- you got a reinforcement um, now that Jimmy Govern's gone again, but you got a reinforcement up when Nick and Bobby went to Omaha and Vinny Pasquantino. Joel and I were talking earlier about how early on in the season you were the protector. You were batting cleanup behind Prado, behind Wit, kind of acting as their you know the the pitch selection guard where. Guys were going to have to throw them pitches to hit because if they didn't and they got on, they walked them and now they got to face you. You know, that's not that's not very good strategy. So now that you're hitting third with Vinny hitting behind you, what's it kind of like to be the to be in the driver's seat with with guys protecting you in the lineup? How much easier does that make your job? It, it definitely changes the game a lot. Uh, I, I really enjoy it. I love having Vinny hit behind me because I know, like you said, I'm going to get those pitches hit because uh, if they pitch around me. Uh, he's, he can do some damage and he's been doing a phenomenal job, uh, so far. And I've really, the only thing I don't really like is, uh, having to be on first base and be scared of a hundred mile an hour <laughs> plus ball come right in my face. I've had a, I've had a few scares in like the short two weeks that he's been here. It's been like, man, 100 and 510 come right in my face. And I got to get out of the way of it. <laughs> but, uh, it's, it's been, it's been really fun. He's, uh, he's super fun to watch and, uh, he's, he's a great hitter. Regardless of where you've been in the lineup all year, you know, Joel mentioned leading minor league baseball in home runs. Your strikeout rate, man, is down like 10% from the first couple of years in professional baseball and, you know, damn near 20% from, from 2019. It has been, and we talked to Nick about this as well. We talk about it amongst ourselves all the time. It has truly been a pleasure to watch you guys, all of the work you've put in, pay off in such a big way to get to the success you're having right now. I, I, I don't even, I can't even begin to describe like, Hey, I mean, just being proud of you guys, but, but B being happy for you to see it all come to light. You know, it, it looks to me like the, your ability to get barrels to pitches this year is so exponentially ahead of where it was in 2019 that some of the same pitches that you were swinging at instead of swinging and missing are now being driven over the fence. Uh, you yanked a ball the other day that was just off the plate outside and hit it 350 feet to right field. I mean, what, how, what kind of work went into, you know, correcting some of the issues that you were having to get back to this kind of success you were having before that season in Wilmington? There was definitely a lot of work put in and uh, I feel like time was definitely on our side. Uh, of course we had the off season right after 2019 to work and, uh, we did the most that we could. And I, and I fell in a very good place, went into spring training and felt good. Um, but then once COVID hit and we had a little bit more time, um, I was able to go back home, work on the stuff that I talked to the organization about and, uh, be able to just improve on those things. And then of course, 2020 rolled around and, uh, had the alternate site. And I feel like that's really where I was able to kind of uh, put into place some of the adjustments that I was making and not really have the pressure of, oh, I got to go out and, and put up stats. Uh, but I was still able to get those live game reads against phenomenal pitchers. I mean, the best guys in our organization each and every day. So it was uh, the time and COVID actually really helped me personally. And I, I assume the same thing for, for Nick and – I mean, it's been, it's been, it feels night and day. Uh, I can tell you personally, uh, it, it does suck that I had to go through 2019 and that struggle of a season. But at the end of the day, I feel like it just helped uh, me and Nick just build, uh, build off of it. And it was some adversity that we hit. And I feel like we uh, came even stronger from it. 
it's wild to think that for a guy that, you know, has been used to playing baseball and games, you know, so many, you know, all year to have a season off for everything to, to maybe come together. But it seems like that was the case at the alternate site where you weren't having to worry about four at bats a day and then going into the next game and trying to make adjustments in season. But what was that moment for you? I asked Nick about this as well, but what was that like the aha moment that you had with yourself when you could tell that you found something with your swing or, or something in your approach where everything just clicked and you could tell there was a, there was a noticeable difference in from what was going on in 2019 to that moment. I think that, so there was, of course, we had the alternate site and then we had a camp uh, right afterwards in Kaufman and it was very game-like. We had two separate teams. Uh, they separated us and, and made it as much as a game situation as they possibly could, two separate teams. And I think it was in that camp, uh, I had an at-bat where I was able to take some really good pitches and lay off some really good pitches. I ended up uh, hitting the ball in the gap really well. And I was like, man, I don't, I don't know the last time I felt that good to be able to take, spit on some good pitches low in the zone and then drive a ball in the gap whenever I got my pitch and just really hunt my zone. And from there on out, uh, going into the offseason after that was just really based off of just improving what I did there and building off of that. And uh, I feel like I was able to make some, some really big strides uh, in Kansas City and just I, I just wanted to continue that that off season and then, and then going into off season and uh, spring training, uh, of course, and getting some at bats in, in big league camp and now uh, to the season, just really kind of honing that all in and trying to uh, make my swing and process as repeatable as, as possible. It's interesting you mentioned the camp after the alternate site. So, like, I think for the average Royals fan. Because there wasn't a minor league season, the, the the different thing was going to the alternate site instead of having a season where I think every year there's there's camp after the season, right? You have instructs or you go play in the fall league, whatever that looks like for every diff- different player. But there's always that camp of some kind, depending on the level. The alternate site's the thing that gets the most focus, but you are now the second player. I mean, Nick said the same thing, that the alternate site was good. It was good work. It was good progress. But it was the fall camp, the instructs you had after that alternate site. Walk us through that camp. I mean, what, who, so A, who was running it? So we had Drew Saylor on the podcast when he first got hired from by Kansas City from the Dodgers organization. And it was pretty clear talking to Drew for, I mean, what we have on 30 minutes, that things were going to be a little bit different, that it made me optimistic that you guys were going to be in good hands because Drew was a really good interview and, and just sounded like a really good dude, even more than the baseball sense. But so I guess, A, who was running that fall camp you guys went to? And and what kind of things specifically did you, did you like get into? So like, like I said, don't, you don't have to give us any state secrets, but like, what were you guys working on specifically that made that click? Because you and Nick have both now said that that fall camp you went to was like the game changer for your, for your, for the improvement you've made since 2019. Definitely. So uh, I think that really going into it, uh, communication for me is, is a really big thing and being able to trust who I'm talking to when it comes to my swing or my process or, or whatever it is when it comes to baseball. And when I was there at that camp talking with Drew, uh, Zumwalt and Tozar um, and Keone, there was, there was some moments where I was like, man, I just – I don't know, like I'm not, I'm not feeling this or, or something in my process didn't feel right. Or, and I was like, I kind of want to experiment with this and I would throw some things at them and they were able to, to throw some things back to like, Hey, maybe, uh, yeah, try that. But don't, don't really go too far with, with this or, or what, or whatnot. So for example, there was a point where I was like, man, I, I feel like I'm not staying through the balls. I need to like hit the ball the opposite way more. And they're like, no, well, that's we know that's your strength but they wanted to like make me uncomfortable to make me better so we worked a little bit more on on getting the bat head out and being able to pull the ball and uh and and in turn it made me a better pull hitter and then still be able to have that same impact on the opposite side of the field and it was just stuff like that that really gave me confidence and uh of course being able to trust those guys and then trust me with an open line of communication and we were just able to bounce some ideas off of each other 
and uh, kind of come to uh, a result and what we need, what we felt like was a good process for me each and every day and good routines for me to work on. That's awesome. Um, you know, I imagine a being around great coaches and other great players is, is beneficial, but one thing that I think is awesome that you guys got to experience is, you know, the 2018 draft class that the Royals put together was a lot of college pitching at the top. Um, you know, and we've asked every hitter that we've, that we've had on so far, who the toughest arm they faced in camp was. And everybody keeps saying Daniel Lynch. So I'm going to tell you, you can't say Daniel Lynch, but outside of (laughs) who was your favorite matchup? Like who was the toughest matchup you had your favorite arm to go in and battle every day? Because like, it seems like, like there's a catch 22 to facing the same pitchers all the time where, you know, you learn what they have, but in turn, they also learn you as a hitter better than anybody else could ever scout you. Like, you face one hitter 10 times as a pitcher, as a former pitcher, I know where your holes are. I know what you can hit really well. And I know what you can't hit really well. You may know what I have to throw, but you don't necessarily know what sequence I'm going to throw it in. And you know, for a fact, I know which holes to exploit and there may not be anything you can do about it. So which pitcher did you have the most fun battling against? Who, who gave you the biggest fits at that camp? Because I think there's an underrated learning curve that goes into facing the same arms all the time. Definitely, definitely. I'll give you. I'll give you two. I'll give you two. I'll give you lefty and a righty. So um, to to go ahead and get off the table, lefty. I'm gonna. I, I'm sorry. I have to repeat. I was. I had to say Daniel Lynch. Um, me and him, of course, we have a we have a really good relationship. Being able to catch him is just a blast. Being able to face him, on the other hand, is not as fun. Uh, but there was some time like complete full. And then there was other times where I would get him, and it was just a good, uh, good, healthy competition. And it was it was fun being able to go against him and uh, pitches and sequence and, and based off my swing. So it was good to be a righty. I would say uh, Jonathan Bolin. He was starting at that point. He was, uh, of course, just fastball slider, just really nasty. Has a good sinker, and he's starting to really develop that change of working on it a lot more. And it just got nasty. And I was like, dude, this is this is incredible. Because when I had caught him in Wilmington, I knew he had that changeup, and it was a good pitch, but it was nowhere near the field that he had made it, and he was starting to make it at that point. And uh, so when I went up to face him, I was like, all right, fastball is going to get on me. It's going to be uh, elite. It's going to freaking play up 97, 98. And then I knew he's going to be able to throw that, that back foot slider off of it. And I went to face him. He threw me a changeup, and I was like, holy cow. I did not see that coming at all. So that was that was really good. And uh, I remember talking to him afterwards. I was like, dude, that changeup is disgusting. We need to use that next next season or whatever it is that we play again. And uh, so those those were two tough ones for me. And uh, I really enjoyed facing them. We were pretty big fans of John Boland at this site. That, that dude's pretty gross. And hopefully he can get healthy soon and get back on the mound because I think he's going to be a big piece of, of the future along with, you know, a lot of the guys you're playing with right there in Northwest Arkansas. So I, I am curious, and I'm trying to phrase this as delicately as I can, but, you know, you and Nick and Bobby were just crushing the Texas League all, all season long and have been. And you all, we, Alex and I were really under the assumption that all three of you were going to get the bump at some point soon. Nick and Bobby get the call. You're unfortunately still in, in double A. I think a lot of it is just a roster crunch and not performance because you you have shown you are too good for the league and deserve a promotion in AAA, but you know, what is it like to, to see these guys in AAA, they're having success and you know that you're not far behind, but how much of a motivating factor is it to, you know, a lot of the guys that you were bashing the ball, you know, all over the place, you know, are, are a level up, how much of a motivating factor is it for you to, to get up there as soon as you can? Definitely. I'm, I'm super happy for those guys. They definitely earned it. And uh, I know speaking on myself personally, it, it definitely uh, was exciting to see them and it made me even hungrier uh, of course, those guys when they were when they were here in Double A, we were able to uh, compete each and every day and kind of uh, w- always want to one up each other in the best way possible. And being able to see them go up and me stay down here was definitely uh, something that uh, it there's there's two ways that you can take it. There's a way where you can kind of just let down and be like, oh, poor me, like I should have been there. And then there's another side where 
it just motivates you and it puts a fire under your butt to just go out and, and perform even even better. Um, if, if that's even possible, just perform even better than, than you already are. And I feel like I, I chose that second option. And um, I just, of course, it's, it's motivating to me to see them go up there and do well. And I know that um, whenever that opportunity does arise, that I'll be able to uh, go up there and perform uh, in, in the way that they are as well and, and prove that I'm, I'm ready for that uh, level as well. But that's something that it, it's definitely uh, – you can take it two ways. And I and I uh, do my best to just continue, continue doing what I'm doing here at this level and be where my feet are because uh, it, it's easy to play GM and say, oh, I should have, would have, could have. But um, – I think it's it's definitely the better route to go out and, and be hungry and uh, try to perform even better and, and just be there for my team. Well, you, you've clearly done that. I think you were double-A Central Player of the Week uh, for the two weeks uh, since that promotion. So you clearly are doing that and continuing to, to prove your worth, and it won't be too long, I'm sure, until we see you uh, up there in uh, the Triple-A you know, East or whatever the heck they're calling it now, you know, in the middle of the order with, uh, with Bobby and Nick and everybody else knocking on the door uh, to play in there in the K. Uh, MJ... We really appreciate the time. We know, we know you're out with your family tonight, so we appreciate you taking the time on this Sunday. Enjoy the off day tomorrow. Before we get you out of here, we ask this question to everybody that we interview on this podcast. If you could go back, you're live in person at a game. What moment in baseball history do you want to witness? Oh, boy, man, that's a good one. Oh, man, you're coming out as far as Let me see. I, I would say I want to say so I'm, I'm Puerto Rican, and I, wanted, I wish I could have seen Roberto Clemente play. And there were some throws that he made from the outfield that were just absolutely like it was it was unbelievable. So I, I wish I could go to one of his games. That's that's something that I wish I could have done. That's a good that's that's a good answer. We haven't had a Clemente answer yet. Um, there's a, there's a throw that I've seen like overlaid with a throw Jose Guillen made from like the corner of right field. Um, yes, I know exactly which one you're talking. Is about. it is it was were they both made in Seattle? I feel like Guillen was playing at home in Seattle, but I feel like Clemente, the throw he made, may have been in the corner there as well. But wherever it is, they both make these throws from from the depths of the corner of right field to third base. And it's just – it's almost like it looks not natural. Like it almost looks video edited to the point where like I had to like watch it twice to make sure I was watching a real video because they're such incredible throws. But that's a good answer. We haven't had a Clemente one yet. And if no, there's exactly, anybody yeah. – yeah, and if there's anybody that I want to see have their number retired like Jackie Robinson, that I think 21 is next in line there. It, it absolutely should be at least. No doubt. I agree with you. All right, well, well, MJ, enjoy the rest of your evening. Enjoy the off day tomorrow, and uh, best of luck the rest of the season, and uh, we'd love to have you on again soon. Thank you. Thank you guys for having me. It was a pleasure. All right, big thanks to MJ Melendez for joining us again. We have MJ ranked is our number two overall Royals prospect over at RoyalsFarmReport.com. You can go check out our rankings from this midseason. That dude is a pro's pro. And I know, like, we talk about Bobby Witt Jr. and Patrick Mahomes for having dads who played professionally and what that means to be around. You know, I don't think um, Melind- Mr. Melendez, MJ's father, played professional baseball. I, I may be wrong about that, but – to have a dad who's a college coach and to be in those clubhouses at a young age and to work with those college kids is such a huge advantage. And now as, you know, as a 22 year old in double a that, you know, Joel, like you asked there, you, your, your peers, your buddies get promoted and you're not quite there yet, even though you're as, de- I mean, JJ Piccolo has come out and said as much that he was as deserving to go to triple a as those guys. They just didn't have a spot for him. So it's not like, it's not like we're, talking about a maybe coulda, woulda, shoulda. This is an absolutely could have been promoted. He handled that like a champ, and I think he sounds like he's legitimately in a really good headspace with kind of where he's at in his career. It's awesome to hear these guys talk about Drew Saylor and Alex Zumwalt and um, you know a couple of the other special hitting assignment coaches. It makes me feel really good about where the hitters in this organization are at, the hands they're in, um, man, I, and I cannot wait to watch these guys keep developing. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's been amazing what he's been able to do in double A this year, especially when you, when you consider just like Nick, the, the struggles that they went through that can for a lot of guys, especially a, a prep kid 
that, you know, has just mashed the world since they were like 11 years old and then get into a pro ball. And then, you know, you're striking out 40% of your at bats and you're hitting, a, you know, you're looking at the, the box score hitting a buck 58. You're like, what, what's going on? That can end a lot of kids career if they're not in the right headspace. It's very clear that MJ is a, got a good head on his shoulders, obviously having a, a dad that's a college coach, I'm sure helps a lot of that, but he obviously has a a good mindset beyond that. And to see the success he's having this year, it's not as surprising as I I thought it was a couple of, you know, earlier, a couple of months ago, even like talking to him, you really understand that like this kid, this kid's going to be special. Agreed. All right. Well, like like Alex mentioned, he's going to be out next week. He has family obligations, as he obviously should. So I'm going to really just take the reins on this thing and I'll try and get some interviews. We'll do some of the, you know, the standout performance stuff like Alex and I have talked about, you know, highlight some of the the really good performances throughout the week of the organization and go from there. But uh, Alex, congratulations to, to you and your wife. Uh, it's gonna be it's gonna be amazing. Uh, enjoy your last couple of nights of decent sleep because uh, it's not gonna happen for for a few days or a few months. Or I'm you know my son's ten months old. I don't, can't think of the last time I got a good night's sleep. So uh, <laughs> I'm not trying to scare you, just giving you the reality. But no, it's it's gonna be amazing. So happy for you guys, and uh, we will talk to you all next week. Be sure to stay locked onto the site uh, royalsfarmreport.com at royalsfarm on Twitter. We will talk to you all next week. <laughs>